What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. Today is Monday, August 22nd, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here by myself today because we're about to air my interview with Rob Rastovich of Thing Logics. Before we do that, today's episode is brought to you by Vala Alta. Vala Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Here on the planet today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. And with that, we're going to get right into the interview. Today on TPT, we are joined by Rob Rastovich. Rob is the CTO of Thing Logics, who recently launched their newest product, Thermic AI, a wireless temperature and humidity monitoring system that constantly collects data and sends alerts when it detects equipment failure. This can be used to prevent food spoilage and help consumers save money. Rob also has his own free-range cattle ranch called Barley Beef in Central Oregon, where his cows eat barley from nearby breweries and drink from mountain streams. Rob Rastovich, welcome to the planet today. (laughs) Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us. So let's take it back a little bit. What first got you interested in environmentalism or sustainability as a whole? Well, we've been, <clears throat> I've been ranching my, I'm third generation rancher um, in central Oregon here. And uh, so I think it kind of as a, you know, I think the, the, um, the rancher in, in my opinion has, was like the original uh, environmentalist and the, the original conservationist right so uh, my grandfather actually homesteaded the ranch that we i live on today oh, wow. and um my dad uh worked on it for his whole life and then um now i took it over so we're like we're 102 years old so we're the first ranch in our county to reach 102 years old and still owned and operated by the original family so sustainability and actually it'd be, it's interesting the whole barley beef concept came about it was about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, my little town of Bend, Oregon, uh, mm-hmm. has a lot of microbreweries. Our, our most famous one is Deschutes Brewery, um, which many many of may have heard of. Um, but when they started do, b- brewing, they um, you know they have this byproduct of the this mash that they got to get rid of. Well, you can't you can't take it to the you can't take it to the landfill and you can't put it down the sewer because it messes up the the sewage plant. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we started picking it up and then we find, you know, it's not, we didn't invent the idea of feeding it to cows. We've been doing it for hundreds of years, but we started advertising the fact of st- sustainability in this. So when you come into town and you have a burger and a beer, you're eating a burger raised on the beer you're drinking. 
you know, so the whole kind of circle of life, you know, is the more beer you drink, the more cows we have. So, <laughs> so and plus wanting to be able to have local farmers, you know, supply, you know, people wanted local beef and they want to be able to know where their, their food is being raised. And, and so we have, we do uh, events out at the ranch so people can come out and see the cows and see where, uh, see where their meat comes from. Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure that's very cool to kind of keep everything within the same community and you know, I had a professor in college who, uh, she was from Bend, Oregon and oh, man, really? it seems like an unbelievable place if you love the outdoors. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, we have got, that is, it, it is definitely an outdoorsy, uh, type of town. You know, we have the mm-hmm. mountains right, right at the uh, foothills, uh, of the Cascades. So a lot of mountain biking, a lot of skiing, a lot of golfing, a lot of hiking, a lot of whitewater rafting, all those kinds of things. Gotcha. Yeah, that's that's cool too that you were saying you're a third generation rancher because I feel like for a lot of us we kind of have you know maybe it's a gradual progression maybe it's just some sort of awakening but we have that moment where we realize yeah maybe like the environment more than your average person but for you you were literally born into it <laughs> just kind of yeah, yeah. It going. and it's funny because you know even as a kid when my uh, I I actually remember talking you know as a kid to my mom and they said well, what's what? they there was something on the news about environment. Mm-hmm. I go, what's an environmentalist? And then they, she said, well, it's somebody who likes nature. I go, oh. So I go, they're all like farmers. That's what they are. Environmentalists are farmers. And she goes, well, sometimes. <laughs> Not necessarily <laughs> yeah. all. Sometimes. That's funny. So I want to talk a little bit about food waste. When I think of food waste, I often think of, you know, not selling at a grocery store or leftover food from restaurants and you know, even those items in the back of our refrigerators that we maybe bought and forgot about. So are there any other sources of food waste that the average person might not think of? And, you know, what are some of the main sources of food waste that you would want to bring up? Well, it's funny because, you know, the, the um, I think the closer you get to the consumer, uh, the more waste there is. Um, because when you're at the source, so for example, I mean, there is uh, in our in, you know, in our industry, when we go and process an animal, there's nothing. I mean, the hide is used, the, you know, the innards are used, the mm-hmm. meat's all processed, the bones are used. Uh, you know, most of that stuff goes to rendering plants, which, you know, makes cosmetics and those kinds of things. So there is, at the source of it, that, that animal is completely utilized and there is nothing thrown away, mm-hmm. um, you know, except for some of the, you know, in, insides that um, uh, aren't don't have you know don't have yeah, any value the less useful parts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to get too graphic on <laughs> what, what we're talking about, but the stuff that would come out anyway doesn't. Yeah, just, comes that stays in. Um, so that gets used, you know, the entire thing, and then even the feeding, like you know, like our our model, the you know, the feeding of them, whether they're uh, whether they're using hay, but the whole idea of kind of re generating and recycling these barleys and the mash that they're using to make the beer there's nothing wasted we even take in the beer making process we take the wastewater from the beer making process and put mm-hmm. it into these tankers and we uh, use that for fertilizer on the field oh awesome so the beer water has a uh, high in nitrogen and so we just spread that you know leftover and not the wart, but it's the leftover beer water from the beer making process. And we use that as fertilizer. We use the mash to feed the cows. And so, you know, one thing, you know, the, on, on a ranch, there's nothing. And you look and, and work your ranch to make sure that there's nothing wasted. 
because that's where your margin is, right? There's no, yeah. there's no, you know, there's pennies that you're, you're trying to deal with here. So, but like you say, the closer you get down the, the chain, you know, so, okay, well, so now I buy some steaks and I don't cook them and they sit in the back of the refrigerator, those kinds of things. Um, that's, I can't, that's where I see in restaurants, you know, and being able to do that. I think we see a lot of, you know, um, our, you know, the expiration dates, people think, well, we gotta, we gotta throw the stuff away after an expiration date. Well, no, you just gotta sell it by that. You don't have to throw yeah. it you know, and I think there's that mentality that, you know, the danger, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to get something, you know, but we don't, I mean, and we also, in addition to, you know, what we feed and whatnot, we also compost. So we bring in a lot of that food waste from the um, restaurants and uh, from grocery stores uh, and we compost that. And then we use that compost and we spread that on the fields too, to get a, you know, to um, uh, get a start on our, or grass. So on this side of it, we, we try not to waste anything. But like I say, as you get closer to the consumer, you get politics involved, you get regulations involved. Mm-hmm. I think you start getting more and more waste that way. Yeah. The, the funny thing for me with food waste is, uh, you know, I always think it's funny when people bring up, oh, ugly vegetables and we're selling these vegetables that don't look pretty, but they taste the same. And I don't know. I mean, unless I'm going to some very fancy restaurant, I don't really care too much about how my peppers look as long as they taste fine and they aren't, you know, already rotting. So yeah, that's, that's something I always found interesting that that whole push. And then with the sell by dates, I'm all about the sniff test. If you open something up and it smells fine, whatever you use to cook it, it's going to kill off that bacteria. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Obviously there's exceptions, you know, with, with cheese and dairy, try to err a little bit more on the side of caution, but most of the stuff, you know, if it looks fine, if it smells fine, it's probably fine once you cook it. Yeah, it is true. But you know, I think, and you know, and for food safety and, you know, the regulations that were put in place to protect the end consumer, I think mm-hmm. those are, they're important, but you're right. There's a, there's a balance there that, you know, of, of what is actually edible versus what is you said you could sell. So. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of, you know, dried pasta with an expiration date, if it's past that, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> it's, it's already dry. It's not like it's going to do anything to you. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So in speaking about food waste, uh, I want to learn more about the thermic AI that your team at ThingLogix has recently put out. So how can that combat the food waste issue? And I guess what is your, you know, elevator pitch for thermic AI? Well, so um, the, you know, the the elevator pitch is, is it's monitoring your cold storage or your or your hot storage too, depending on what you're, what you're trying to do. Some people are, are more concerned about temperature dropping than temperature rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of food waste, it is an amazing, um, what we do is we have uh, sensors that go inside your walk-in freezer and we monitor the, the temperature and the humidity inside the freezer. And one of the things that has been difficult, you know, over the years is to how do you get a signal? And, you know, these freezers are very, you know, they're like you walk into a freezer and you're not going to get a cell signal. Mm-hmm. Right? So we had to come up with a technology that will go through that so that we can monitor these things. And we, you know, technology has advanced to the point where we could do that. And so now, um, and one of the biggest concerns that um, we have um, on the ranch is if what happens, because we have a lot of product that sits inside a freezer. Um, and if that temperature were to go, you could lose, I mean, not just, not just the dollar value of what's in there, but really that you know, the food value and the energy mm-hmm. value of all that's in there. And so our, 
our goal was to be able to provide and, and minimize that ability to, you know, uh, have a, a, a freezer or a cold storage where you're not aware of it. We had an incident in, uh, we had a customer in New York, uh, we rolled out to it and um, they, before they put us in, uh, they had a freezer that, you know, they went in at five o'clock at night, checked it, everything was fine. Well, at 5.30 that night, it, you know, something went wrong. And by the next morning, they'd lost, you know, uh, I think $25,000 worth of product. Um, and so being able to prevent that, um, not only from a monetary point of view is, is important, but also um, Thermix AI helps you do the whole cold chain. I mean, we can monitor, you know, a, a product from start to finish um, to make sure that it never gets above a certain temperature for food safety reasons. So would you say that it works better in specializing at the entire freezer level, or is it more segmented to each individual item that's in that big freezer? So that's, yeah, that's a good question. So we actually, we start at the freezer level. Okay. Right? So our, our initial offering is at the freezer level. So you have a freezer or refrigerator and you want to make sure that that temperature never gets above a certain uh, a certain level uh, or greenhouses too at the other one you have greenhouses and you want to make sure a temperature doesn't get below a certain mm -hmm. level, right um here in, in oregon we have a big cannabis industry hemp industry and so temperatures in greenhouse and humidity inside a greenhouse is, is a big deal for that um so we start kind of at that level but the technology and the network that we install for you um can go down the individual package the problem when you get down to the package is you now you you're you know you put an individual sensor on every for high value items, no big deal. Mm -hmm. Package of ground beef, mm, probably not worth the, you know, ten to fifteen cents that you're going to need to put on there because that's going to probably start eating into your margin. It's more I need to know that all the ground beef is safe, and not only monitor them but also we monitor, you know, the freezer trucks that they do the transporting and those kinds of things. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's very important when you think about it, because like you mentioned with the one place in New York, it's not something that you realize that this is going wrong until it's too late. So yeah. to be able to kind of address that at the source yeah. and prevent the food from spoiling or prevent, you know, the greenhouse from dropping below that temperature where all of a sudden the crops aren't growing as well. It's really important to kind of hit that right at the start and to be able to identify that quickly and efficiently. That sounds awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and then you even think about it in terms of restaurants, you know, because restaurants typically have a deep freeze and a cooler side, of it, mm -hmm. right? They got to, they're going to try to manage both. They got people coming in and out of that thing all day long during until they, oh, they'll recognize it while they're open that, hey, temperature dropped in there. It doesn't seem as cold. Um, but then restaurants are typically closed, you know, during the heat of the day when they open up, you know, they open up in the middle of the night or, you know, later in the evenings. Gotcha. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about the Internet of Things. So could you just kind of briefly define that for any of the people that are listening now that might not be familiar with the term? And then how does the Internet of Things factor into sustainability? Uh, so the Internet of Things is the idea, the short end is, is the idea of connecting things to the Internet, um, meaning things, What what is a thing? A thing could be uh, a house, it could be a temperature, it could be your thermostat, it could be a soil sensor, it could be a water pump, it could be a freezer or refrigerator, um, it could be, um, you know, any anything that is not, you know, uh, that needs to, you know, be monitored or what, it could be your car, cars, mm -hmm. are, so anything, 
anything that is out there that could send data and basically send a message about its being is, and then you provide that connectivity and all these things talk to each other. So the best example, actually on the ranch, we, a good example is irrigation, right? So when we start doing uh, irrigation, the old way was, okay, you, well, the old, old way was you dig a ditch and you send the water down it and the water flows down to the bottom of it and very inefficient, right? So now when, with the advent of, you know, sprinklers and, and whatnot, it got, we got to be a little more efficiency with our water. But now we're at the point where we can actually take a, a temperature, I mean, a soil sensor and put it into the, into the soil where the irrigation pipe comes or the drip irrigation comes in. And that, um, that soil sensor can send information back to the pump to uh, say how much water it needs, not only how much water it needs, but what nutrients it needs. Maybe it needs nitrogen, so maybe it needs phosphorus, or maybe they need something else. And then at the pump, the pump receives the message. It says, oh, this area needs, um, you know, needs more water. So when it comes on, the sprinkler turns on and it also pumps through it nitrogen and what other, whatever other nutrients that plant may actually need. So um, that's the, you know, kind of the whole connected things. You have one thing, one thing talking to another thing and it controls itself without human intervention. Got it. So pretty much any way that two items, two things can communicate with each other through data and analysis through the internet, that's going to be what we call the internet of things. So in the, in this case, I'm thinking what you just described can really maximize efficiency. Mm -hmm. And that's one application for sustainability through the internet of things that I could think of. Um, are there any others that, you know, you think listeners should be aware of right off the bat? Well, so think about this and we're talking about efficiencies, right? Um, so our, the, um, one of the big things that we're doing with, with IOT is water, right? Water is, you know, one of the, you know, most important things that we have as an environment, not only for the mm -hmm. health of our streams and, and, and our lakes and rivers and those kinds of things, but it, it's what, you know, we need to grow the food and, and the efficiency of being able to get water. Um, water in of itself, and we're here in Central Oregon, we've been in a drought for about three years, so it's always a, a kind of a hot topic. But the fact that there is the, the drought is not necessarily caused that there's no more water, because the water still exists. It's just a distribution problem. Mm -hmm. It's an idea, well, where is the water now? It's either underground or it's in the mountains or it's moved over to another area that's now flooding, you know, so it's a, a distribution problem, not a, a supply problem. So those kinds of efficiencies that we can get inside of mo monitoring the river, one of our customers is the USGS, the United States Geological Service, and they monitor the river, if we monitor the Colorado River so that we can actually start in real time, build models, AI models that determine what's happening up in the snowpack of Canada and how that's going to affect the farmer that's growing in Southern California and your, you know, your celery and your, your strawberry productions, you know. So getting those efficiencies and being able to not only get more efficiency in our growing, but then also in the distribution of that, uh, being able to do more things like, you know, just in time delivery and more of these kind of what I call Uber models. One of the things that we put into place for barley beef was um, I got rid of all emails. I said, I'm not. No, I'm not sending an email to anybody else ever again. Uh, so we we, made, we moved everything to you know text-based system, and and as a text-based system, a text is nothing more than a message, and it's just a method. It's a message, just like an IoT message. It's just happened to be coming 
mm-hmm. from a person instead of a thing. So what we did is we said, okay, well, we're not, we're not going to use emails anymore. We're gonna, in fact, we're not going to use our website anymore. Yes, we have one. You can go there and check it out. But if you want to order from us, you send us a text message. And through that messaging system, we could automate the process. And so we can get your, we can get your stuff delivered to you like in the same day. So it's an efficiency of, of modeling. Same thing like what Uber did with, with rides, being able to get a ride because there's people out there wanting to give you a ride. We just got to connect the two. And that's really what we're trying to do is say, all right, instead of you having to, you know, go to the store and the store has to stock it and they got to do it and then they got all that waste, we can connect the farmer and the consumer directly in real time to get them uh, what they want when they want it. Uh, We can eliminate some of that as well. It seems like IoT is also really good for forecasting, you know, based on what you were just saying with the Colorado River as an example, you know, it's going to help in a way that we can anticipate things moving forward and maybe be more proactive about some of the environmental issues or water use, land use issues, we can get ahead of that instead of just reacting after something has gone wrong. Oh, absolutely. And then the models that they are, you know, the AI models that are coming up and everybody maybe talks about artificial intelligence. They always think about, you know, iRobot or yeah. you know, the robot that's going to take over the world. You know. But, you know, it's not so much that, but it, it think about, you know, the one, the, I, I think the use case for AI that I think is just wonderful is if you could tie, you know, because you're, you're, every one of our cars has a, a port on it that spews data. When we take our car into service, the service uh, station, they plug it in, they look at the computer and the computer tells you what's wrong with it. And then they schedule maintenance and they say this, well, all that data is now available in real time as you're driving everywhere. And that data is collected and it, the car itself can go, oh, in two weeks, you're going to have a problem. Your fuel pump is going to go out in two weeks. And I know it's going to go out in two weeks because every other car that had these kind of readings two weeks before their fuel pump went out, this is what's going to happen. Well, I can now look at your calendar. I can look at the service station's calendar and I can coordinate those two. I can make an appointment. I could probably even, I can order the parts and have the parts sitting there. So no one's going, oh, right. Now you, you know, you, those kinds of intelligence can help me make not only the efficiency of our, our lives better, but imagine adding that into, you know, that intelligence into food distribution. I know <laughs> that there's going to need this kind of quantity of, of celery and lettuce and tomatoes over here. Mm-hmm. And I know what the rain forecast looks like. And I know what the farmers and I know who's planting. And I can put all that together and I can say, you know what, there's not going to be enough tomatoes and the price of tomatoes is going to go up. So maybe somebody should plant some more tomatoes, you know, putting all that together, um, I think is, is really kind of the fun part and the exciting part of what, what AI and, and the IoT will do. Yeah, I think access to data like that is really exciting from, you know, any sort of analysis standpoint. So this seems like a really awesome application of AI. Um, I did want to ask something else about barley beef, which we mentioned is your cattle ranch in central Oregon. So beef creates the largest carbon emissions of any meat and, you know, smaller ranch is obviously different than the footprint of industrial cattle grazing, you know, creating deforestation in the Amazon, for example. But I'm curious what kind of steps that you take at barley beef to create a more sustainable source of beef for your customers. Well, so all of our beef is, so we don't use what we'd call, um, I guess what most people would think of as a traditional feedlot model. Uh, When you take a large concentration of cows and put them in a small area, you're Mm -hmm. gonna create a lot that, that gas and all that stuff is going to be, you know, just intensified. 
mm -hmm. uh, because there's nothing to diffuse it around. You know, so we have um, uh, our, our ranch by most rancher standards is pretty small. We're only 200 acres, uh, but we only run a, we only run about 200 or 300 head on that 200 acres. So an acre per cow is it's <laughs> a lot of land for a cow yeah. to be to be to be hanging around it. Um, and so, but we also grow our own hay, and we also have you know the uh, rangelands that we we uh, uh, we propagate and whatnot. So we try and you know balance those out, and so our cows are not uh, you know concentrated in that. And that traditional feedlot model causes a lot of other problems, not only just the methane gas, but you know there there there's a concentration of you know um, starches that they put in a diet. There's no exercise, and the, you know the more you feed the cows, obviously the more methane they're going to produce. In their natural state, they're going to produce much less than what they would if they were in a focused um, uh, feedlot model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I know um, I, was, I was reading an article pretty recently about feeding cows seaweed as mm -hmm. a way to reduce their methane emissions because I guess some of the components of seaweed helps your gut break down the food that you're eating and yeah I just i don't know i think it's really interesting that those are the kind of conversations that we're having now as opposed to you know 50 years ago when just people did their thing and yeah. you know, there wasn't there wasn't really any sort of research into how can we impact the environment by feeding the animals that we are eventually going to eat differently yeah so interesting time to you know be yeah, interested in science. i never heard that and that's that's very interesting um cool and then i guess i also just wanted to ask about the water supply i know that we had mentioned that you uh supply your cows with water from the nearby streams how does that factor into you know the sustainability of your farm and the water usage there well yeah you know in bend we live in a desert so water is king um, mm -hmm. so uh, and it's a it's an ongoing issue, not only for uh, politically, environmentally, and economically. Um, so most of our water comes from snowpack. All of it comes from snowpack. Mm -hmm. um, so if we have a if we don't have a good winter, then you know, come springtime, there's no waters and the, there's no water in the river. The ranchers, in fact, you know, um, my grandfather was one of the original ranchers that built the irrigation systems throughout this area. Uh, and so, and I still sit on, on the irrigation boards and we monitor that. So it's, it's a very, um, it's a very sensitive issue water, not only in, in, you know, in terms of environmental impact, um, we have at our irrigation district, um, we do these, uh, environmental impact reports and our, uh, environmental plans. We have a number of endangered species that we have actually turned over reservoirs um, to the fish and wildlife so that we don't take water out of those reservoirs anymore so that it so that it doesn't impact negatively the environments of some of these endangered species. Um, there's the biggest problem with water is a, a legal issue. It's not a it's really not an environmental issue in my mind. It's not even a, 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 a political a political issue. It's a legal issue. The mm -hmm. way water rights are 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 penned um there's a kind of a pecking order so when you, you know, someone has senior water rights someone has junior water rights well if there's not enough water then the guys who are senior get their water and the guys who are junior don't get their water um but that what happens is you manage that and and you manage 
those water rights, the water that comes down the stream, differently than mm -hmm. you manage the water that's in the ground. Well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's yeah. one ecosystem. You know, the whole system needs to be worked together so that, you know, water from whether you need it for a golf course or whether you need it to grow crops for a house, or I mean, for, for cows, or whether you need it to service a, a, a domestic use. You know, all that's got to be taken into and managed is one thing. And I think right now, um, water law, at least in Oregon, prevents a lot of that. Yeah, I think um, a couple couple weeks back, we were talking about the Rio Grande and how when water was allocated to all of the local farmers along the river, the river itself was at an all-time high. Mm -hmm. And a couple years later, it started to get into its normal water levels, but they were still taking water away as if it was at that all-time high because that's what the farmers and uh, ranchers were allocated so by the time it got to the end of that chain, there were farmers and ranchers who were getting no water. And yeah. I think the Colorado River was another example that they brought up um, along with the Gila River, where all of these rivers and streams that come off of the river, all of their water was allocated at times where it was at a high point. And then as you know, nature takes its course and you start to get into those normal levels or those low seasons, it gets really hard for the river to replenish itself. Yeah. So. And that's and that's what happened here as well. The yeah. river that managed our stuff is the the Deschutes River that comes that runs through uh, Central Oregon, but and that's the same thing. What what we have done um, over the last few years is we've allocated so the river actually gets its water first. Mm -hmm. The river actually, you know, keeping the the river healthy and keeping the ecosystem in the in the river is gets it first. Then the farmers start taking it. So, um, so it is it is a challenging and it definitely you know causes tension between you know the agricultural community the tourist community and the recreational community um and you know people who you know live on the canals you know they, mm. they want to see the water so piping is always a big issue um you know and um being able to you know manage the the um, contentious relationships between all these different factions is a constant constant yeah that does not you, you sound like water. an easy one yeah you gotta have water yeah exactly all right rob we end all of our interviews with three fun rapid fire questions so yeah. you ready ready all right what's your favorite animal cow i love cows <laughs> <laughs> i love the um, scottish highland cows the big furry ones yeah, yeah. uh number two what is something that you do to be more sustainable in your own life seems like a Silly question to ask you because that was kind of the entire thirty yeah. years ago. But yeah. we ask everyone. Well, that. well, I'll tell you this: what I, I I always tell people: drink more beer, and you can support the environment. You can support your local fire, your your local farmer. So, the more beer you drink, the more cows that we can we can, uh, the more hamburgers we can make. All right, if you're listening right now, go crack one open. Yeah. <laughs> Number three: what is one environmental topic you think my listeners should be more aware of after hearing from you today? Water, 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 water. The conscious and water is so complicated in terms mm -hmm. of its law and its politics. It's and people just oh, there's the river, there's the water. Well, no, it's so much that goes on, and mm -hmm. it is vital not just not just to agriculture but to human life. So water and water management to me has got to be the number one thing. Excellent. All right, Rob, thank you so much. This was awesome, and I really enjoyed getting to talk to you and and 
really enjoyed your time today. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having us on. So if people want to keep up with you, Thing Logics or Barley Beef, you know, what you and your teams are up to, where is the best place to do that? Uh, you can go to our website, uh, thinglogics.com for IoT and barleybeef.com if you, if you want to learn more about ranching. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and, and most social media, so you can reach out to me there as well. Awesome. We will link those in the show notes, so go check them out. Thanks, Matt. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. Thank you again to Rob for his time today. Make sure to hit the links in your show notes to learn more about Rob, Thing Logics, and Barley Beef. Nick and I are going to be back on Friday for some quick hits to send you into your weekend. Until then, make sure to follow along on our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT. For the Planet Today, I am Matt Norton. See you on Friday.